You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Anytime you see in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, that's Christ before he became Jesus. Are you with me? This is Christ in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord, that's Christ, appeared to him in flames of fire from a bush. When John sees Christ in his glory in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, eyes flaming, flaming fire, holiness. In today's message, Pastor Danny will remind you that throughout the Old Testament, there are appearances of Christ. In the biblical account of Moses, Moses fell from grace in Egypt after killing an Egyptian and then goes to the land of Midian to become a shepherd. In Exodus chapter 3, we see the angel of the Lord appearing to Moses. Anytime you see that angel of the Lord, this is a reference to Christ before he became Jesus. This text also tells us that Christ is flaming with fire. This is his holiness. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Exodus chapter 3 as he begins his message, The Making of a Man of God, Moses. Exodus chapter 1. The life of Moses can be divided into three 40-year periods. I think that's very interesting. The first is birth and then being raised as a prince in Pharaoh's household. The second, uh, the time he spent in Midian as a shepherd. And Acts 7 verse 30 tells us he spent 40 years. And the third He's leading Israel in the wilderness, and of course, that was 40 years. Chapter 1, verse 1, these are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now, Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. Then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. Notice this. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. That's the same thing that happened too uh, in the book of Acts with the early church. The persecution actually caused the church to grow more. 
So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? Now, now catch the answer. I love the answer. The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. Burly women. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. And then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Catch this next order. Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. And scholars suggest that this was something that would have been easier in this culture to get the people to do than, of course, in our culture, because they worship the gods of the Nile. And probably the idea was, uh, that we're not given all the detail, probably the idea was uh, offer your child, your son, to, and he might have named the God. Now, we don't know that's what happened, but if you read the history of Egypt and know about all the gods they served, uh, it's not improbable. It's perhaps even likely. In chapter 2, now, a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she thought, saw that he was a fine child, some translations say he was not an ordinary child. Now, of course, anybody gives birth and you have a child, you say, oh, man, it's the best kid in the world. When he saw that he was a fine, she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. That's the same word uh, for what they use for the, the ark. It's, and it's the word also translated atonement. So they make it waterproof. Then she placed the child in it, put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. I don't know how many times I've been through this story. It never gets old. You talk about the providence and hand of God working through the free will of man. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe just by coincidence. And her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying. And she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women and nurse the baby for you? You, you just got to love this. This is Moses' sister. You want me to go get one of the Hebrew wives to nurse the child for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Of course. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby, nurse him for me, and I'll, I'll pay you. I'll pay you. I mean, God's got to be chuckling, go ahead and work this thing out pretty good. She's getting paid. 
So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. He's going to grow up as a prince. He's going to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. She named him Moses. She had to think a lot about that one before she got that name, I'm sure. You know what it means? She says, I named, she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. It means to draw out. And then you fast forward. It's kind of like the movie when it starts off and here's the child in the providence of God, you know, the, the, the baby's now here with his mother. And, and then you just kind of get a years later, verse 11, years later. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people, the Israelites, were and watched them at their hard labor. Now, he's a prince. He's grown up in a palace. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And notice what the man says. The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? You like to see Moses' face at that moment. He thinks nobody saw him. Nobody knew. Then Moses was afraid, and he thought, what I did must have become known. Now, let's stop there for a minute. Acts chapter 7. Put a marker in Exodus. Go with me to Acts chapter 7 and listen to what God reveals for us in the book of Acts about the story that we're reading in the book of Exodus. Acts chapter 7, and you go down to verse 20, 22. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He's got the finest education money in that culture can buy. And was powerful in speech and action. He's the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he's a mover and a shaker. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. But notice what verse 25 tells us. This is what I want you to see. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. He knows he's got a calling on his life, but he's got problems. He's impetuous. He's impulsive. He's independent. It was a big mistake. Mover and a shaker, finest education. He's a smart guy. And, and in just a minute, you'll know uh, he's pretty man's man kind of guy, too. I mean, he's pretty, he's pretty manly. You'll see that in a minute. I know that because we'll see it in the story. But his actions here are not in line with God's will. And God is about to deal with Moses as a result of those actions, which were out of the will of God. Verse 14 or verse 15, back in Exodus chapter 2, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. Well, he sat down by a well. Now, a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. We don't know how many shepherds, but some shepherds, more than two, I would think. But Moses got up, 
and came to their rescue and watered their flock. He's a man's man. I mean, he's dealing with more than one shepherd. I mean, he comes and he just defends these ladies and he waters their flock. Verse 18, when the girls returned to Raul, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? They answered, well, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he, he asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to dinner. Invite him to have something to eat. So Moses agreed to stay with the man. And we don't know how much time passed, but this guy gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. And Zipporah gave birth to a son. And Moses named him Gershom, saying, I've become an alien in a foreign land. Gershom means an alien. He said, I'm an alien in a foreign land. Verse 23, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. And you got another point here where we don't know the exact timing, but it's a fast forward. Acts tells us 40 years, 40 years that Moses was an alien in a foreign country, foreign land. And then chapter three, are you with me? 40 years. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb the mountain of God. Stop there for just a minute. Let's think about this. He grew up in a palace. He's educated in all the education of the Egyptians. Best education money can buy in that culture. He goes from a palace to a pasture. He goes from reputation and influence to tending sheep, working for his father-in-law. But hey, guess what those painful years produced in Moses? Leave a marker for another moment. Go to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12 and look at verse 3. And this is as Moses is now beginning to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and in the wilderness wanderings. And here's what the Bible tells us. Now Moses was a very humble man. More humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Stop there for a minute. Think about it. He's not the same man he was 40 years before. He's not the same man he was when he slew the Egyptian. He's not the same man he was growing up in a palace, powerful in speech and action. He's a mover. He's a shaker. He can get things done. He's got influence. But he's not humble. He's impetuous. He's impulsive. He's independent. 
That was Moses' problem. That's why he ended up on the backside of the desert for 40 years. But after 40 years on the backside of the desert, he's the most humble man on the planet. On the planet. Wow. And then you look at verse 2. My goodness, chapter 3, Exodus, verse 2. There, 40 years later, the angel of the Lord. Now, do I need to remind us? I'm going to do it anyway. Um, anytime you see in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, that's Christ before he became Jesus. Are you with me? This is Christ in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord, that's Christ. Appeared to him in flames of fire from a bush. When John sees Christ in his glory in the book of Revelation chapter 1, eyes flaming, flaming fire. Holiness. Appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Now, he, now it goes without saying he's never seen anything like that in 40 years on the, on, in the desert. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. Just like any of us would. I'm going to go see what's going on here. And when the Lord saw him, the Lord, the Lord saw him, saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Imagine, I can't even imagine that, man. I mean, whoo. I get scared the living daylights out of it. Doesn't tell us that here, but you, can't, you can only imagine. You know, a burning bush speaks to you. And Moses said, here I am. I don't know how he said it. I'm just doing that. I don't know how he said it. Here I am. And the Lord says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, all the termites, all those guys. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, now, and I don't know if this, it's got to take Moses by complete surprise. So now I'm sending you, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my, to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Now, 40 years before, now, now listen, I have to believe this. I have to believe 40 years before uh, Moses would have been like, you got the right man. You got the right man for the job. I am educated. I'm educated. I grew up in a palace. Uh, I'm, I'm a mover. I'm a shaker. I'm a man of influence. You got the right guy. Let me, let, let's go. Let's, let, let's add him. Come on. But that was his problem. He thought he was going to deliver somebody. I can't save you. I can't save anybody. I can't deliver anybody. Neither can you. None of us can. Without God, hey, listen, listen. And that's what humility is all about. It's not me, it's you. It's the Lord. But Moses, 40 years of humbling. He's the most humble man on the face of the earth. And here's one of the, ch here, here's one of the challenges with humility. I don't know if you realize one of the challenges with humility. When you're completely, completely humbled, 
You don't feel one bit worthy. And guess what? You don't feel one bit capable. You show me a person that believes they can, oh, yeah, I can do it. You know what I'm talking about. That kind of, hey, his problem was he was proud. His problem was he did grow up in a palace. He did. He was a smart guy. He was a mover and a shaker. He was a man of influence. That was his problem. But he was independent. He was impetuous. He was impulsive. And he made a mistake that sent him into God's seminary for 40 years. And God's seminary always does its work. And now he's the most humble man on the face of the earth. And here's what he says. Verse 11, chapter 3, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? I'm nobody. And God said, I will be with you. Amazing grace. That's what I put in my notes. (laughs) Amazing grace. I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you'll worship God on this mountain. And so Moses said, okay, then, let's do it. That's for all the guys that aren't even looking to the Bible. You're not even looking at a Bible. You're not even cheating by looking at your neighbor's Bible. (laughs) Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I love this answer. I love this answer. I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Who sent you? I am. That's what he said. I mean, that's what he said. Tell him I am sent me. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, appeared to me and said, I've watched over you. I've seen what has been done to you in Egypt. I've promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt into the land of all those ites, land flowing with milk and honey. And the elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. And we won't get into that, but that's the ten plagues. So I'll stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. And I'll make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. I love this part. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. You say, well, why in the world would God have them plunder the Egyptians? Because he wants them to be materially rich? No. Of course he wants to take care of them. But when they begin the wandering in the wilderness, God gives instructions to Moses about the building of the tabernacle and the materials for the tabernacle. Where are they going to come from? From the material blessings that God provided when he delivered Israel out of Egypt. And they would give willingly for the work. I think that's cool. 
Thanks for joining Pastor Danny today in his journey through Exodus, a book about deliverance. This Old Testament book reveals God's power and authority, but it also expresses God's heart to fulfill His promises. God does what He says He'll do, and nothing can stand in His way. If there's anything about today's message that has you scratching your head in confusion, feel free to contact us. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Let us know too how we can be praying for you. That address again is info at ccfstpete.church. If you're not already part of a church community, we want to encourage you to find a church home near you. This will be a place where you can grow in your faith and ask tough questions, while also finding a community of believers that will support you. If you're in the St. Petersburg area, come join Pastor Danny at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We're holding services each Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11. If you can't make it in person, you can still be a part of our time of worship via live stream. You'll find all the information you need on our website. One more time, that's ccfstpete.church. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join us again for our next edition in the book of Exodus, right here on The Living Word.